This is the Machination Log recorded August 17th, 2016. We've got the movie crew in the house. Here, here. Yes, yes. I believe this is our Jack Bauer episode, ladies and gentlemen. Wow. We are at 24, and in celebration of American nationalism, <laughs> Ryan has selected <laughs> a German film from the 30s. <laughs> a German film from the 30s, yes. Black and white, of yeah. course. A film that precipitated the rise of an empire that came to define. Yes. American exceptionalism. Absolutely. No, Dick Wolf, a la Law and Order, I think saw this one CSI. night. CSI. Said, that's the career for me, Dick Wolf. Yeah. No, uh, so Fritz Lang's M, yeah, 1930s. Psychological thriller. Psychological thriller, absolutely. The um, full title of this movie is M, the letter. by the way, the letter. M. Yeah. So when you're looking for it, just type Fritz Lang it's on, um It's on Hulu. It's mm-hmm. on YouTube. And it's on YouTube. Yes. And I think wholly worth your time for some of the reasons we're going to look at. Now, I think, once again, part of the goal of, this, of, the, of, the, of our little project here mm-hmm. has been to kind of go through and, you know, find films and talk about films that, once again, maybe aren't the most ones, ones that jump out, right, that to you. You know, like, for example, um, you know, we've kind of wanted to go and find things that maybe do some uh, things in film film that are done for the first time yes right to see where some of the like much film. of what our, yes exactly like much of our much of where our entertainment comes from uh is really based on a uh experimented process and it's something that has been learned over time uh and shared through the creative process in putting down stories and ideas uh, onto film and one of these very early innovators uh in um, uh, in cinema history is fritz lang uh, so can I go ahead and just d- dive into some history here and then kind of just begin from the movie uh, forward? Would that yeah, be okay? yeah, that yeah. That sounds good. It's your, right? it's your film. Yeah, Open absolutely. it us. I don't Open know anything up. about it. Yeah, bring it on when you guys are ready. So um, <laughs> uh, Fritz Lang is a German filmmaker, and uh, we, you know, film as we understand it today really begins in Europe, right? We talked before about Trip to the Moon, which is a French film, uh, and a lot of the early cinema really does have its genesis and beginning uh, in Europe, uh, the same way photography did as well. And as we kind of... Um, move through the whole endeavor uh, uh, into the silent era uh, and where we have these first beginning studios in France. Uh, one of uh, an early films uh, uh, culture uh, develops in pre-World War I Germany and continues through the night, uh, even after World War I. Uh, and this early cinema uh, really takes on a very striking and what we could almost see as a kind of avant-garde yes. approach in the 1920s. You'll oftentimes see societies that go through big social upheavals oftentimes kind of correspondingly having a very uh, impressive uh, forms of art that kind of come through this. There's kind of um, this this match of like German cubism, uh, of German realism that kind of comes after World War I. uh, Rebellion always kind of ignites cultural like art and and culture you know well, and, and a way to like look at your culture and say like what what is happening here you know like i i suspect that if trump becomes president we're going to enjoy one of these periods in american art soon as well <laughs> so you know there's this idea that um but in you know in germany in the 1920s uh rampant uh economic problems obviously uh losing millions of young men uh in world war one as well and there's i think a lot of soul searching that goes on and it births one of the most striking periods in uh, cinema history, uh, what we call German Expressionism, yes. comes, it comes out of this period. And it is really known for its, um, you can imagine, right, expressionistic character uh, character in the way it's filmed. It is not done uh, in any sort of realistic sense, right? We're going to capture reality on film. Uh, instead, no, they you take can, on... You can almost take, you, you know, these, this is the land of Grimm's fairy tales. Yes. And a lot of that, trend, you know, it, it kind of comes through, like a lot of... 
lot of angles, a lot mm-hmm. of dark places that they're exploring. A lot of uh, and darkness within the storylines yes. as well, right? Something where the heroes aren't. Sometimes there might not even be heroes seemingly in these films. Uh, you also have some very very neat work that comes out of this. Obviously, it's kind of odd the way that. In our own society and culture today, we tend to talk about like psychological issues, right? Things that happen within someone's mind. Uh, we have to realize that, you know, in the beginning of the 20th century, this is kind of like a new field. And we have like dreams being represented in film very prevalently during this period. And the kind of wild imagery that can be experienced through that is also translated into this era of film. Um, Fritz Lang really it makes his mark. And once again, if you have ever heard of Fritz Lang before, you probably know him from one of the top three silent films of all time, uh, and that is a movie called Metropolis. Which um, actually was re-released with additional footage yes. a few years back, so it is supposedly supposed to make more sense now. Yes, absolutely. It had some difficulties, obviously, in the production of it. Um, you know, there was things were much more f- by the seat of your pants, I guess, <laughs> in the early part of this film. Uh, but it's one of those projects to, uh, to where when you look at a lot of, especially even like 1950s or even Star Trek era, kind of representations of the future clean lines seemingly well thought out or well planned uh societies Kinda of the u- yeah, future utopian sort of societies yeah like the ideas of monorails almost like disney-fied kind yeah. of 50s 60s aesthetics future of land the fu- yeah, of the future um you can almost directly if you put up a, a you know like a drawing of something or a conception of the future from the 60s and a drawing of the future of uh, or a still from the uh, metropolis you can really see the comparisons between these two um, and once again, I think that its recent uh, t- uh, history in the last 20 years has really kind of elevated that uh, to a higher level. Uh, now, Fritz Lang, this, this uh, Metropolis is uh, uh, German as well. Uh, and he has several films uh, done early on in Germany, uh, M, which we'll get to, and also The Testament of Dr. Mabuse. And we have to also kind of recognize that we're talking about Germany. <laughs> we're talking about the 1930s. And I think that this will come up in, in our discussions a little bit as we go into the plot. But we also have to realize that uh, this also is in the time of the rise of Adolf Hitler and Nazism. And, and once again, this is this film is made before uh, Hitler comes to power in 33. They're in the middle of a really big depression yep. at this point, and, uh, right on the verge of hyperinflation. And a, a kind of a, a radicalizing of his yeah. society. And this is, once again, this is not something that is, you know, Hitler doesn't happen overnight. I mean, this is a long political movement that goes from really the middle of the 1920s into 1932 to 33 to 34. And uh, when we are kind of looking at this, I also want to kind of mention that Fritz Lang uh, leaves Germany in 1934, 1935. His wife actually stays behind uh, and joins the Nazi party. That's uh, three years after the movie that we're going to talk about. M. Yes. M was 1931. 31, yep. yeah. And he leaves for the United States, and he begins making films in the United States in the, in the late 1930s and, and throughout the rest of his career into the 1960s. Um, some of those, uh, just to give you a kind of laundry list of my personal favorite Fritz Lang's <laughs> films, um, I already mentioned Metropolis and the Testament of Dr. Mabuse, both in German. Uh, Metropolis Silent, of course. Um, you have a great film of his called The Ministry of Fear. Um, you have another really great film with Edward, Edward G. Robinson, uh, which is called Scarlet Street. Uh, and then he has a se- several film noirs, a term we've used before uh, in this podcast. If you wanted to see a couple of classic ones from him, uh, you can see F- uh, Fury. That is with Spencer Tracy, another classic uh, Hollywood icon uh, from the 1930s and 40s. Uh, and then The Big Heat uh, as well, which has... Uh, um, is that Lauren Bacall? Uh, yeah, Lauren Bacall. And um, it has Lee Marvin in yes. one of the early one of his early roles. Uh, and he's a great, uh, great guy, uh, character in that one as well. Um, and if you check out his IMDb uh, page, just if you tend to find the ones that are more better reviewed, you really can't go wrong. 
Um, you know, he has some duds in there, I think, as well. But um, uh, that's a kind of short synopsis of what uh, of what M is, uh, a film made in 1931. Well, short synopsis of, of who Fritz Lang is. We yeah. haven't gotten into M oh, yet. Oh, yeah, uh, Fritz, yeah. Uh, who Fritz Lang <laughs> is and, his, and the scope of his career and the time and place in cinema history. Uh, M is on the... Um, uh, one of the first major films, and I think one of the themes I want to kind of hit upon also uh, is that this is also in the transition to talkies, uh, when sound is being incorporated into film in the first ways. And there are some very, very cool uses of sound that I would like to get into as well as we go through this. And without that, uh, are there any kind of opening impressions you guys had or you wanted to share? I mean, had you heard of this before? Um, any sort of initial impressions you wanted to go I mean, through? I mean, I, I had seen this this movie before. You know, it's got Peter Lorre, who made a pretty decent career for himself in English films after this. This is, he, you know, he is speaking German in here, but he went on to be a, a fairly well-known American actor. Yeah, we didn't review The Maltese Falcon, did we? But he, no. Is, he no, plays but we one, did, the, one of yes, the good we, slimy characters yes, in The Maltese Falcon. Yes, we did do Falcon. that on a cultural evening. We did sit and watch The Maltese Falcon. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I mean, this is, this is a classic film, and it is a psychological, basically a police drama, mm-hmm. and it really does kind of set up what every kind of police drama is moving forward. Like, Mm -hmm. this one covers all of the basics. It's just that, you know, there's not quite as much enhanced because Mm -hmm. they didn't have computers at the time. But not much has changed. I don't know. They... They throw plenty of the enhancement in there. No, but it's all there. in, in (laughs) In the original formulation of what a law and order procedural would look like, uh, Fritz Lang, and for perfectly good reason... It seems like he needs to set up the ground rules for what makes policing such a pain in the ass. Law and Order tries to shine a light, a very dim light with lots of shadows on it. Um, Tries to give you an impression of what being a police person or anyone associated with law enforcement is like. Fritz Lang has to do the same thing, but he's starting from what seems to be absolutely square one. Because the society that he is relaying this movie to thinks it a foreign enough concept that things can go wrong this way mm-hmm. that even the initial setup with the murderer, mm-hmm. um, which has a, we'll get into the scene in question, but as it progresses, the naivete of the crowds in this movie is something that is completely out of place in a modern world. We are, we are jaded by a 24, a 24 hour news cycle to such an extent that the way society functions in this movie is nonsensical. Mm-hmm. Um, from their suspicions, both above and below where we feel like they should be, mm-hmm. when a kid doesn't come home, that only kind of bothers the maid a little bit. Mm-hmm. But she goes about her business, and then they event. It's literally, I think, three scenes later, they actually think something's amiss and recognize that someone has gone missing is probably dead mm-hmm. but that doesn't that doesn't occur immediately and then when it does the overreaction of the town is comical mm-hmm. um it's not merely that the police are on a in a lockdown situation there is public admonition and suspicion and paranoia and it, granted it is from the 30s so film was still it wasn't in its infancy but trying to relay what's going on was a uh, 
it wasn't quite as subtle in art just yet. So when people are blaming one another, there's a lot of finger-pointing and over-explanation of the thought processes in people's heads, because you can't take it for granted that someone is indicting their fellow man on no charge whatsoever that he's probably right. the murderer. <laughs> yeah. But that's commonplace for us now. All yeah. that vernacular's in place. And this movie is clearly responsible for some of that, just as I was as I was looping around to, when the commissioner of the police is explaining... Mm-hmm. What police do to investigate a crime scene. Right. That's just a scene they don't need to put in things anymore. Yes. We we know how this works. We understand that they've got search teams and they create perimeters Mm -hmm. and they find evidence. Like, he has to lay it out. It's like like the kids... it is. It's like the kids' movie version of those shows. Not necessarily in, in well, no, its that's content. What I mean. It's 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 where it all it's it's where it started. Like he had to he had to kind of create this from scratch. Yeah, initially. he gets, he has to build the entire foundation. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny because you know we we have a, a and weird we've kind of acculturated this weird almost sophisticated notion of like psychology of crime of criminal procedures. I mean, I teach I teach American government, and it's always funny that when I start talking about constitutional rights and no one feels any confident about how to do it. I'm like, well, what did they t- got to tell you if you get arrested? And like everybody knows the Miranda rights, right? They, yeah. Like they can everyone. I, I can just go verbatim in the class and everyone knows them. And, you know, it's kind of one of those little weird things where, you know, this what we're seeing is like when you have to do something for the first time, you have to kind of like walk people through it. But we've talked before where we've seen like this. You know, where you generally will have, like, the main character of a movie needs to be brought through and, like, learning the rules of the world around them. I mean, even, like, the X-Men movies, right? You have, like, Wolverine who has to go into the world of the X-Men and then have the world of the X-Men explained to him as the person outside of it, right? They have to kind of be be taught these kind of basic foundations of the world around them. You want someone and, to at be, a less degree to a certain extent. You at least want someone whose hand you can hold yes. on your way through it. But for someone, you know, I mean, where else would we come into contact with something like, you know, fingerprint analysis if it weren't for entertainment, media, film, and TV as well? I wouldn't know fucking shit about, you know, fingerprint analysis unless it had been for the fact that, you know, CSI was ubiquitous on the television for the last 20 fucking years of my life, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, who would have known about this kind of shit, you know? Like, I barely know what DNA is now. Now, except of course that they well, can like find just it with anything. our twenty-four hour news cycle, like every time you know something like this happens, we're all aware of it. Where you know back in thirty-one, you know, uh, you know this movie opens up. There has been previous murders, and we're opened up to uh, you know a a murder that happens. You know, as we are watching. Yeah. So then the first um, the context of the movie, you know, yeah. but this is this is a huge this is a huge deal because this is. This is a time when stuff like that, it may have been happening all the time, but people didn't know about it. So, like, this is, like, a really big, this is a really big deal. Somebody is killing children, and they're doing it enough that everybody is aware of it. Well, and in a particularly horrific way. Like, there's this, there's a really great scene where they're talking about the murders, and they're saying, well, you know, with what happens to the children, and we know what happens with the, it's like, it's a very cool way to set up that, like, what is what the killer is doing to the children is unspeakable. And we never, I mean, th- this movie, what you got to understand, like if there's known, if there's something known about the violence about older times, you know, like it, we talked when we joked yeah, about it's like, all covered up in symbolism. Yeah. We talked before yeah. it was until 1969 when people shot and blood came out of yeah. the wounds. Like we, that's how long it took <laughs> us to reach to that point. And so we're like 38 years before then. And we're dealing with a guy who, 
is murdering children. Yeah, and he's doing, molesting and murdering yeah, doing children really nasty in a shit. serial manner. Yes. Like he is doing this repeatedly. And this is and like so when we are when we are kind of shown this opening sequence, um, it's a quick little dramatic tale and. The way it's staged out does feel very much like a silent film. Uh, we are shown um, primarily through visual cues, uh, a woman in a, in a kind of apartment tenement situation. She's washing clothes. Um, she's going to the stove. She's looking at the very cuckoo mundane. clock. And we see the time she's progressing. complaining about how heavy your laundry basket is. Yep. And, and then, that awful song the children are singing. Oh, yeah. So, uh, oh, the, so, the, 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 the ch- uh, children playing outside yeah. and they're singing like a child. Uh, it's great. Fairy. It's great because we all know grim fairy tales came from Germany. So, of course, these children are singing a song about someone making mincemeat out of them. Yeah. You know, which is not only foretelling, but also just appropriate, I guess, for German children to be singing. The one mom objects she finds it Mm -hmm. to be a dreadful song but the other mom and another you know sadly foretelling it's like well at least if you can hear them singing you know they're out there yeah (laughs) Yeah. uh that ends up the old german sense yeah yeah Yeah. (laughs) and so when when we see this story unlaid to us we see the the woman um we see then um school being a school being let out we see children coming home, and there's several sh- establishing shots of just outside the apartment with the around the staircase, mm-hmm. uh, shot down the staircase. A lot of weird camera angles. Yeah, some of them are some good. Good's... Some of them don't contribute to the scene as that much. But there's just they definitely some. There's uh, there's a lot of tilt shift going yeah, on. Yeah, there is there. They definitely take some liberties in in getting some funky angles throughout the course of this movie. He does um so. We see these two stories kind of unlay in parallel. The the the, the mother waiting at home, uh, the the young child Elsie um, leaving school, meeting a stranger who we never who we don't see at first. But no, rather all than we see is him, a shadow. Okay, we see a shadow of him. She's and she can't read this, but she's standing, throwing a ball against a sign that's basically an announcement that seven children have died mm-hmm. and they are still looking. For the murderer. For the murderer. Who is the murderer is what it asks. And so as she's throwing this ball against this sign, our murderer, Im- all we see is a shadow just come up mm-hmm. and address this girl. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make friends, uh, you know, offers to go take her to get a balloon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and as a trusting young little girl that just got out of school, she mm-hmm. she goes with him. They buy a balloon from a blind balloon vendor. Mm-hmm. But... Our murderer, who we have not seen, we only see the back of him. Yeah, we've seen his shadow. We've seen his shadow, and then we see the back, and we hear him whistling a tune. Yes. And it's some Mountain King. Yeah, Mountain King by by Grieg, I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I tried whistling that. Whoever. Better be careful. They'll mistake you for a murderer. (laughs) No, it's. Whoever they had whistling that, A, they probably could have done a couple more takes and gotten it better, but regardless. (laughs) He picked a really hard song to whistle. Well, it had to be a memorable, distinct yes. song. Yes. No one would think to whistle that. I'm pretty sure that came cart before horse. Yeah. But, oh, uh, he's got issues. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, you know, so, um, but one of the, okay, so we talked before about this being, and I think it was remarked that there is, there are moments of silence in this film. To where action will take place on ca- on on camera in the frame, but we won't hear the corresponding sounds. And one of the really first times this happens is in the sequence of the murder itself of of little Elsie, 
where we are shown several sequences and we finally reach the point where the mother is becomes clearly exasperated She's and we hear her clock. yeah we hear her yelling her daughter's name over and over again we get a shot of an empty staircase uh we get a shot of this empty attic where mother washes clothes and there's like it's very haunting almost um in this this empty attic save for one two or lines filled with like dangling drying clothes we see an empty uh, place setting at a dinner table uh, and then we see a shot of the ground, right? No, clearly detached from the yeah. apartment building where those shots took place. We see a, a, a shot of the ground, a ball come rustling out of the bushes, the ball the young girl was playing with, and then it dangles through. And then we see a really uh, awesome shot of these uh, electrical wires or, or telephone wires uh, being strung up. And then the balloon that the the the, uh, the killer bought for the young girl uh, caught in them and and and, and frenetically going about. Uh, and then it fades out, yes. and then we get the extra, extra newsboy thing, and then uh, another murder has been discovered. Uh, mind you, when Ryan says that this scene is silent, this is silent in the form that only a film from this era could get away with. Mm -hmm. When a film is silent in modern day, even for the purpose of dramatic pause, there is always some noise. Yeah. There is ambience. There is literally no sound yeah. mm -hmm. during... A bunch of scenes in this movie. Yes. Most of the time, when they are showing city shots, there is no, there were no mics mm -hmm. anywhere. Yep. And it's interesting because you, I read the Wikipedia article and uh, it talks about Fritz Lang uh, going into talkies with this movie and how dense the soundtrack is. And whoever wrote that is using soundtrack in the more literal sense. There is no music mm -hmm. track. Correct. There is only a sound mm -hmm. track in this movie. Yep. And it takes many breaks throughout many different scenes. Yeah, it's this movie is probably half talky. Yeah. Well, then they were they were at this time. It's very cool to because one of the neat things about this film is that you do like okay. So for example, one of the coolest things is that when you hear her when the when you hear the children, you, we hear them up close, mm -hmm. and then we the camera moves off the children and looks upstairs, and the woman on the balcony comes out and tells them to stop doing this. But it's her voice is projected into a square. And it's it, the voice sounds very different. I mean, it sounds crazy to us, but like the idea of like of like perspective in vocals, the idea that we would hear the children very close and then look up, the camera being mm -hmm. down there, and then hearing the woman yelling at the children and hearing that as if it would be yelled from a distance, that was like really innovative shit going on in 1931 in talking movies. Like the perspectives on sound, the idea that you would have because several times this happens. Where the especially with the children and Elsie has it at the beginning to where we know something's odd. She like half steps in the street and then we hear a horn, which sounds very odd to us yeah. today, but it comes in very quick and she jumps back and then we see the car pass on screen. Like these sort of things were very were very new techniques early on. Once again, this we've got to kind of give the film a little bit of an understanding because so much of what we expect and how sound needs to be used to convey the story in a dramatic sense. They're really playing around with a lot of these yeah, ideas this stuff right hadn't now. Been, this stuff hadn't yeah, been established this yet. Because, like, like, you think about, I mean, there have been some films, I think, that, you know, um, one of my favorite categories in the Oscars is sound editing. Like, and it's very, very, I like, I like, some, I like, some, I like me some sound in some film. Um, and there is some, like, really cool elements that are being used here. Uh, that we talked about psychological and especially in horror movies where you can think about how much and how important sound can be in horror movies. Um, you know, even when we, I think, look back at Aliens and they have that 
I mean, it's just a, it's just a ridiculous the idea Geiger that there's counter. like some yeah, there's yeah. some like Geiger motion sensor <laughs> fucking thing. But no, it's the it's the beep 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 heart idea that kind of raises up as these things get closer and closer in. And we're kind of you know where that becomes so effective and almost fun in a lot of movies as well. Um, we got to understand that they're kind of moving into this. But the idea that sound could be contextual, the idea that sound could convey surprise. Yeah, Thirty-one. They, we are we are just barely out of silent right. films. The at idea this that you point. That, the idea that you would then withhold sound yeah. in a key moment, like once again, like they're like you can. It's even kind of radical to do when you go look at movies before this, and they just like are like flooding it with sound. Like it's funny, Roger Ebert's review of M. Uh, and it's it's weird when he, someone says it and you're like, fucking, of course, you know? <laughs> but, like, if you watch movies before this that are talkies, they never shut the fuck up. Like, they are, the, the dialogue is constant in these movies. They just felt they had to, like, talk all the way they through it. They just fill all the space. This, this film will, like, talk and then, like, will have, like, pauses and story will be relayed visually. It's almost like they had to, like, and remember and like you how, said, to, how and to visual story There will tell. be stuff happening with no sound behind it. Like, you will see cars moving and stuff, and there'll be no sound in certain parts. And that's, once again, him almost breaking with these trends that were moving forward where they were just like, we need more sound, more sound. And Lang's like, no, 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 we... We need to use we sound need to carefully and think about just, how we yeah. how it will how it can convey a mood or a, um, an effect in the film we're trying to kind of achieve. So, well, um, that's that's yeah, the exercise. Yeah. That's the exercise of every technology, though. Yes, I mean, absolutely. that's that's every there's there's a very good XKCD about that. It's the flowchart for every single technology. It's is it revolutionary? Yes. Is it going to make us all smarter? No. no. Is it going to make us all dumber? No. Um, but it's just every one of these, you feel the need to push it all the way to 11 mm -hmm. and then dial it back. Right. Like, that's just sort of the natural progression of almost any technology of that form. In the modern era, this applied to 3D, which ended up completely dying for the most part, at right. least until virtual reality takes off. But HD was the same way. And in fact, TV showrooms have finally finally started not just advertising the contrast ratio on their televisions <laughs> and cranking the sharpness to 8 billion. Jeez. Yes, they, it is. Because, because it's impressive, dude, to like walk by that section of Best Buy. Uh, you know? like, it used to be really bad. It's so much better now yeah. than it used to be because they everybody knows it now. Mm -hmm. And now that that is no longer novel, we can pull it back and people can actually care about the nuances. Right. And that that's just a growing pain of every innovation. And in this era, sound was the innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, I think that it's just a very cool, um, like once again, kind of giving it a break. I mean, because it does, like the elements in this thing, I think are very, very well put together, right? Uh, I think understanding its context, I'm not, you know, like, not to say you can't enjoy the film or you, you or the reason someone would dislike it, right? I don't think that understanding its historical content necessarily excuses some of its sins, mm -hmm. uh, but I think it does place them in a kind of e emphasis where, I mean, when this when this murder happens, we get a good section or so of the film from about the 15, 20-minute mark up until the 50th minute, right before they actually discover the murderer, mm -hmm. and that last hour then kicks in. But in that middle third... We get the procedural idea going on. Yes. We get the townspeople. We get this town kind of yes, breaking get, down around get, itself. We basically get, so yeah, so, so Elsie dies. So let's go ahead and deal we with get, that chunk because we, we were kind of hinted into it. So let's get we, 2005. Yeah, yeah, we get the hysteria <laughs> from the news. You know, there's eight children missing. Um, we get some fun stuff too because our murderer is communicating with the press he's writing letters to the press which mm -hmm. you know like in the 50s they had the zodiac killer used to like doing this yep. a lot 
and that we, you know, we have our little psych, you know, psychologist who who analyzes criminal minds and he's making assumptions that, you know, our killer is a psychological case that likes reading about his crimes. Mm-hmm. Like oh, he's it's getting highly it, Freudian. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's a lot design. of little Freudian stuff. Which which is mad ups at the time since Freud was I don't know if he was he wasn't still alive, I don't think. But mm. But he was pretty fresh. like he yeah. he was pretty fresh still. Psychoanalysis was considered science yeah. all the time. Well the, I mean it's just like one of my favorite things, one of my favorite quotes from Mad Men is like why would someone not be who they are? You know, like the idea that someone would be like masking their own internal tendencies, you know, like was like, who the fuck does that? Like, come on. But like this, this, the psychological analysis that kind of comes from this, I mean, it's a fairly, I mean, once again, <coughs> excuse me, um, the idea that we get this extended montage. Yeah, we get the we get like, the police with the dogs going through the woods looking for bodies. The context is like the you police know. commissioner having to explain to the minister, like, obviously you can imagine a lot of political pressure going on around this to the people in the government. And him kind of explaining and defending himself goes through this idea of the different lengths to which... The, the police are going about to find this killer. Yeah. And he is exhaustive about them. Yes, absolutely. That, that montage has eight or nine cuts in it yeah. of just different, and it's, again, it's got that demonstrative feel that we don't bother with anymore. Like, they have, he has a scene where he says, we're working our people on double shifts, yeah. and they're coming back more exhausted, and just to, like, They drive, don't even have time to change their clothes. To change yeah. their clothes. And in order to reinforce that visually, they have people laying around and like pretending to yawn yeah. in the police station. <laughs> like these are scenes that they wouldn't bought. Like the the commissioner would just say that in passing now, and we just kind of get the gist. And they would try to push the story forward it, with some other visual. But yeah, but we're really trying to express that the police are working around the clock, and they're basically coming up with nothing. Yeah, they're driving this home. And well, what happens? Mm-hmm. Okay, so that's kind of our police. But what happens when you're not coming up with anything? Because mm-hmm. I feel like this is a really big turning point. Is you have to round up the usual yeah. suspects. <laughs> so now we get this. It's a great. It's another great scene that has no sound, mm-hmm. and you start thinking that maybe your movie's broken for a second yep. because you see we're at night. We see the police coming in. We see the couple of people on the streets running out. We see cars moving. We don't hear anything. Mm-hmm. We don't hear anything. And then all of a sudden we hear a whistle and it's someone notifying the, you know, degenerates at the bar that the police are doing a roundup. Yeah. And so that's what I mean. By the usual suspects, the police are going to go round up the underworld, mm-hmm. basically, because they don't have any ideas and they've got to have something to show the public because the public is... Getting a little hysterical. Yeah, and we see this through several clips where um, was a, a young, uh, a small, older man uh, is walking the streets. A young girl comes up and asks, like, what's like, asks him the time. Yeah, it's like something really innocuous. Yeah, and he's like, yes, you know, like once again, like engaging a young person, you know, like okay, sweetheart, you know, like blah blah blah, and he even not, like asks her quite, like looks after, like listen, like seemingly aware that this is a dangerous situation, or you know, you're heading home. And then all of a sudden we get this brutish guy that like comes up and is like, "What do you care about kids? Yeah, for? What, are, what are you doing about this kid?" And then like, <laughs> then there's a crowd and you know like everyone's like harumphing and you know like they are basically looking like they're going to accuse this guy and take him here. He's got to be the murderer and like the like you said the irration like you mentioned the irrationality of what's going on here. This kind of well, and, crowd. Well, mentality. there's like some hysteria going on a little bit. Yeah, the way that the crowd is approaching this. I mean, once again. 
this is nothing like that. We can take it for granted that that old guy was a pervert now. Yeah. yeah. This is the yeah, 2000s. What are you, what are you hanging out around school? There, there's yeah. a reason pedophiles aren't allowed to hang out at school. And it's probably because uh, of this movie. There's yeah. a reason why you essentially need certificates to be around children yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. <laughs> like we, we have fully internalized this kind of paranoia, but at the time, the way that it is shown is in a public that has absolutely no discern or no, it's, it's not that they have no discernment. It's that they have way too much discernment. Uh, there's a scene where there are five guys and this is, this is a, one of the finer, like chewing, <laughs> chewing the scene mm-hmm. kind of elements in this whole movie. Uh, one of, one of, uh, Lang's, uh, one of the motifs of his camera is to, in a move that he can't possibly actually have anticipated because they didn't exist yet, but what looks like closed circuit television, mm-hmm. the yeah. camera is about 12 feet in the air looking down on other, yep. looking yep. down on people, and it's just looking down at this tilt-shifted yeah, five-person is- table where one guy's reading the newspaper and they're all just having a smoke, Yeah, and then it just breaks for no obvious reason into this accusation fest. Yep. Um and that scene, that scene, in much the same way of the the policeman pantomiming, yawning. The scene seems a little hammy. Yep. But its construction is fabulous because mm-hmm. it's a scene that you just can't like get anymore. They don't do, for one thing, they don't dress actors this well anymore. Right. Uh, but they also uh, we don't have the ability to show off accessories the mm-hmm. way that they did. Yeah. And just the clientele, not all of them are attractive. I'd say. None of them are attractive people. They yep. just got five German people. Yeah, they're in very this German. Scene. Yeah. Yes, and that that gives it that gives it the feeling of being the everyman, which ironically we went away from by making like when you need an average Joe in a movie. Average Joe is prof- profoundly attractive. Yes. in most movies, and this, and this is something that was also striking as well because. Um, this, this, the same tendencies to be and and have attractive movie people is something that was also existing, especially in the 1920s and 1930s. And you saw this in a lot of European and especially American cinema kind of picks up on this. It's kind of weird that, you know, very much by, by 1940s, 1950s, American cinema is setting trends. But once again, filmmaking from the 1920s, 20s, uh, and 30s is more... Um, you know, is is more of a shared, you know, relationship. You know, you have some real avant-garde trend setting going on in, in Europe at this time period. And what they used to call a high society picture uh, comes into play in Europe and then takes over in the, in the middle 1930s as well. Um, and these are these, you know, movies. If you've ever seen old movies and everybody always seems to be in a fucking tuxedo. Yes. Like, this is kind of what Fritz Lang is kind of coming on from here. Where everyone's attractive in Hollywood Everyone in M is ugly. No, this is just like, a mundane is, little town. This is an like ug- these no, all these, look but this like is intentional too. Yeah. Like Fritz Lang knows what is going on. Like the, Fritz Lang knows that there's like this expectation that you know movies are about attractive people. They're about forgetting who you are. They don't want to see their, their themselves reflected back in this film. And and you know they want to be yeah ex- exactly escapist. And, and Fritz Lang's like no we're gonna so we're the, gonna admire so the next a bit. so the next after we do our roundup of the usual suspects, which goes on for some time. You know we're asking people for papers, everything you would expect out of 1930s Germany. The next so. The, the the next uh, sequence really is where the story starts taking a turn and they start getting closer to our murder. <laughs> and, and I really, really like this section because we have a large 
dining table, mm -hmm. or, you know, or conference table where we have the commissioner and then the public, you know, the public figures that are working yeah, towards this. Yeah, the government officials. And just know. like you said, there are a bunch of fat German guys, very accessorized, all smoking various types of tobacco. Yes. Um, some are smoking cigarettes, some are smoking, you know, Pipes splippy. with naked ladies carved yeah. in them. There is a variety of smoking <laughs> Cigars going on. in pipes, through yes. a cigarette. And, like, yes. I mean, like, and even even under modern eye, it's it's quite obvious that Lang was playing. Oh, the, uh, it's, it he lets you know what everyone's smoking. Everybody gets a scene, and it is almost... Ex it, it's not even when they're talking. Like, mm -hmm. he doesn't just focus no, he, on people because they're talking. He builds up the smoke because this scene is juxtaposed with a less extravagant <laughs> meeting table, which is the underworld meeting for the exact same reason our commissioners are meeting. Yeah. You know, they have a less extravagant table. They are all still smoking, but not as extravagant of pipes. Mm -hmm. Not quite dressed as well. But both of these parties are having a meeting simultaneously and we're cutting back uh, back and forth as they're discussing how they're going to approach this issue because they have to find this murderer. It's bad for the underworld because the police keep rounding them up yes. and they can't make any money and it's bad for the commissioners because they look like they're not taking the public safety at bay. So as we go back and forth at this discussion, and mm -hmm. I'll get to how we uh, move forward here, but they're going back and forth. We're going back and forth from these rooms we get another no sound thing where we get the commissioner table and the whole room is just filling with more yes. and more smoke. We've got our closed circuit TV camera staring at this whole table. The room is essentially completely filled with smoke and no one is talking. We cut to our underworld table. The exact same situation. Closed circuit camera. Entire room is just filling up with smoke, yeah. and people aren't even talking. And it goes back and forth about two to three times for this room as we just see this room continue to fill up with smoke as these people are working on this, like to a comical point, yeah. as you said. Well, like, and, and like, like the idea of like when people, when someone's just spouting shit off, like, you know, they're like, they're the hot air idea. Yeah. Like this room is just yeah. filling with their fucking hot air. <laughs> Reminds me of a great scene in, in Blazing Saddles where um, Mel Brooks' pl character plays the mayor and there's some political crisis and he's like, gentlemen, we must do something. Our phony baloney jobs are at stake. You know, like, <laughs> we have to do something. Like, harumph, harumph. You know, we have to, so, we have to be seen to be doing something. So, so, so after we get through this this great juxtaposing uh these these you know juxtaposing the, the these two the, the leaders of the criminal underworld and the leaders of yes. the criminal above world we get, the politicians they, yes they we get to two different solutions to find our murderer mm -hmm. so the uh, oh, before we okay. go quite that far into it to address a couple of the people yes. that are in these scenes okay. for one thing we have the one who I would Arguably the only attractive Hollywood acceptable human being in the whole group because he's he is a persona. Yes. There's a cool bad guy. Yes. Yes. He's got a bowler hat and a trench coat. He means business. You can tell because he's both bald and has a death man stare. He'd be in the UFC nowadays. Um, <laughs> his large rings, doesn't yes. he? Yes. Yeah. 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 His name's Safecracker. Yeah. <laughs> like he's a cool dude. <laughs> And no one else in this movie is a cool dude, so he stands out in a ridiculous well, I gotta way. I got to say, as if if someone were to like, if your name was your profession, like yeah. if someone started calling you podcaster, like yeah. well, that'd, be, that'd be fucking good stuff, you know? What's like, a cast? No, no, I know, but that's the thing. You don't like if I was known as the pro like the professor, like you, the safe cracker. You don't the, get to do that, like 
unironically now, yes, though. Like it's yeah. that's that's too cool. That's like base, no, no, that's, that's a baseball name, card in the spokes yeah, of your bike. Cool. That's yeah. one of those. That's one of those. That's like a name like people appoint appoint you. Like you earn that nickname. Yeah. Well, but and the thing is, we've got we're so far gone now, though, that even earning that nickname ends up not having the same effect here because he probably didn't give himself that nickname. But there's an air of reverence that people can have for other people in this era <laughs> that just doesn't work anymore. Yeah, social, like, social media destroyed the aura. You know, I don't, like, I don't. I don't even know if it was entirely social media's fault. But like it, the idea of being cool the way this guy is cool right. is just a non-starter nowadays. Yeah. The only people who can get away with it are like old guys. Right. Like Bruce Willis is the only cool dude the way nowadays who is cool the way that this guy is. Right, and it is, but it is a fucking like great because he kind of comes in, yeah. and then chairs this meeting. And um, once again, I, you're saying this, this juxtaposition that happens at yeah. this point within because we're, the cameras are going, it's going back and forth. This whole scene, you know, we're seeing the one side and we're seeing the other, and they're doing the same thing, but they get to different solutions to solve this particular problem. Yeah, absolutely. You know, because they're both coming at it from different angles. Well, and it's it's all I mean, I got to also I mean there there's there's this is a horrible thing that's happening the murdering of these children. This I think this yeah. that sequence is where we get that quote that I used earlier where you know well the, the things that are being done and we we know what he does to these children, yeah. you know like that's yeah. you know, that's in that se- sequence. But at the same time you know, like why? Why is the underworld so concerned about this? The, these murders because the police reaction to them is fucking up the business. You know, like yeah, he says there's more police on the street than than girls, but meaning prostitutes. You yeah. know, like it's, and that it, he's not going to be able to make any money until this. Yeah, is we're solved. going broke yeah. because of this, and you know, we you know we, they're breaking up the speakeasies. Yep. Nobody can get their hustle on. And well, I, you got to deal with because, and I like his explanation because I actually. I didn't think of that until he mentions it. Mm-hmm. There's a payroll. Yeah. And it's not just criminals on that payroll. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he has to keep... I, I The wording on it's so good, I kind of want to just edit it back in. But it's like, there. there's a lot of rent on a lot of ladies' estates. Yes. And it's going to go unpaid. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's a really good line. And he... But it's, it's, it's something that... I mean, once again, maybe I'll I'll do it and kind of like summing up as we head to the end of this thing. But there's a, I mean, Lang is getting at a point here. I think in this in the larger context of what this film is trying and what he's doing, and what he's trying to kind of say about this issue uh, about these issues. Um, so the basic plot, right? So the 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 criminals have hatched a plan, right? Yeah, to so do something. They're they are going to use the beggars because they're on the street already. No, 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 no. They're not going to use the beggars. They're going to enlist the beggars' guild. Yes. Yes. Okay. Oh, the I'm organization sorry. of I, beggars. I, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. We are in Germany, yeah. so everybody is part of a guild. Yes, whatever you, union. Whatever yeah, like. you do during the day, you are in a guild for that. That includes begging. <laughs> okay? So good. But basically, you know, the beggars, you got yourself a street team. They can watch all the corners... They could be, you know, they're going to turn the Beggar's Guild into their, basically, uh, their um, neighborhood watch. Yeah, they have, they've got a cool, like, recruitment scene. Where they got, like, a line of, like, a line of tramps each come in. But then they have this ledger, and they're, like, assigning, pl- they got, like, a map. Yeah. They're, like, assigning places of, like, their patrols. 
but that like you said they like they like your name and then they go like and then they have like a number like yeah. a registration number they like have, but you, yeah. said, you said when you were in the union that's how they still do it you just write your name on a spiral yep. notebook and hope for you got your employment. id card yep, yep you got your id card so you go nothing in. has changed in that respect uh, but oh i mean the idea that it would be for tramp it was a new one to me like, well this is america like, how do you go, like apprentice like to journeyman tramp it's you know? hard like, enough to organize out here anyways in america we'd never let the tramps organize uh, I but mean, in germany god help us you gotta you gotta you gotta be organized i mean we know that the guild is clandestine because it does take place in a baker it takes place upstairs from a bakery that has mm-hmm. signs that says that say like no uh no non-patrons yeah. so <laughs> so it's it's clearly clandestine but i do i can appreciate some underworld order like yes. that well and then on the flip side um you know our commissioners meeting they decide that they are going to get the records from every prison insane asylum hospital clinic and anybody that has this sort that has been cleared uh, as not being a threat to society, but had tendencies to do this type of behavior, right. i.e., pedophilia, uh, you know, maybe some violence unstable, or, yeah. violent, you know, they are going to research and see which of these people have been released recently and try and go round them up. So that's their method, which. Mm-hmm. They probably should have started working on that angle a little bit earlier, but you know <laughs> that's their solution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, this is an innovative phase in crime yes, history. Yes. Yeah. Also, this movie has a more mature portraying of mental of mental institutions than most I've seen. Just period. Yep. Hollywood has a rather Ugh. awful history. Yeah, it's pretty abysmal uh, when it comes to when it comes to like negatively impacting public understanding about things hollywood massively damaged our understanding of mental health institutions oh, yeah. can you give me an example of what you mean by that um you may be familiar with a uh, jack nicholson film yeah uh one well, flew over the coke yeah anyway, absolutely yeah did you did you know that insane people are really just having a good time okay yeah i gotcha all right yeah, yeah. Um, and did you know that that schizophrenic people just have imaginary friends they can talk to all the time but it's cool yeah yeah, yeah okay. no they can they can deal yeah they can yeah deal. no it's <laughs> but this movie it's it's weird that if you go far far enough back this movie has a disdain for these institutions because as we'll find out they actually find the killer by searching a reference of things for someone they found as clear and safe mm-hmm. yes um i forget what the the guy's name is uh, who's the assailant who is who's the murderer? Peter oh, Laurie's yeah, name. Peter Laurie's. Yeah, I can't remember. I, but b- but he's he's on a list of that. So in that scene, it's it's kind of a brush off condemnation of an institution that let him go. Um, but it's that's that's the most mature handling of that I've seen in a movie ever. Because yeah. it's not like the mental institution. They don't go in there and they don't show the nurse beating him up or like maybe he wasn't actually crazy or any of this shit it's it's act that's precisely it's we came to a determination that he is not a threat to society and, and they we allowed him to go and shit happens yeah, yeah. like and, <laughs> and that's they don't bother to like hammer that down i just I, that was relieving mm-hmm. after the way that we treat most of that subject psychiatry psychology mm-hmm. in modern film by yeah. modern i mean like all time 
So, yeah. Well, like um, I said, and even uh, well, uh, e- even uh, our our little psychological assessment that we did at the beginning. I mean, it was pretty spot on to basically what you'd expect from a cop psychologist in a movie today. I mean, like a profiler or something. And it did nothing to help them. Yeah. Well, they didn't understand how to use that information no, but, yet. But that's such a mature way yeah. to approach it. <laughs> they, he's. The guy is analyzing. The doctor is like pacing yeah, around profiled. in the police mm-hmm. in yeah. the police station. He's he's scrutinizing the shit out of the way this guy writes. Yep. Oh yeah, the loops mm-hmm. mean that he's no, got, and they still do that. They still analyze handwriting and, it's and just stuff as like useless that. Now as yeah. it was yeah. then, <laughs> <laughs> like again, remarkably mature yeah. understanding of mm-hmm. psychology in this movie. So um. So, oh, yeah, murderer's named Hans Beckert, by the way. Uh, okay. is, uh, once again, played by the actor Peter Lorre. It's a very, very German um, name. Absolutely. <laughs> we, um, so we get, uh, let's go ahead and move, let's move this fucker forward. Yeah, like I we? said, okay. so we've got the, po- got like the I said, we got the police are, are moving by finding these lists and uh, kind the of going through. Scouring and the, the tramps the, are on neighborhood watch. Yep. So, um, as we see this plot, uh, uh, their, their plot unfold, um, we do get uh, the final kind of pivotal scene. Um, and we get a uh, what begins really this the second half and really leading to uh, the, the beginning of the climax of the well, film. Well, we start following the murderer again. Yes, we yes. we see him kind of dealing with these issues, and so this is really where where we see Beckert, uh, the murderer. Um, the first sequence I think is him walking around um, and having an encounter with a young girl, and you know we see him kind of reflected into it. What's the the Hankel knife yeah, company? Yeah, yeah, he stops by a J.A. Hankel's yep. back l- when window shopping was apparently, like, badass. Oh, man, okay, yeah, so the uh, window displays at these little shops in this very town F.A.O. Schwartz, are yeah, amazing. Cool. And, yeah. uh, but we see, once again, like, when he comes up to the Hankel store, we see him kind of inlaid in this, like, pure We this, see him reflecting diamond. in the knives. Yeah, very cool and, stuff. Yeah. Um, and he will have wished... That he had purchased a quality J. A. Yeah, Henkel's in, knife indeed. later in the film, we will discover. So he, um, <laughs> <laughs> he, um, but he, we see him struggling with what he goes through. We yeah. see him encountering a young girl, it breaking up by some you know circumstance of which I forget. Um, he then goes and seemingly, I think, kind of maybe deals with it the way he had been. Uh, he goes and gets some alcohol. Right? Yeah, he, he gets goes a cognac and gets a, drink. And he gets a drink. And I mean, because again, we're 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 led to believe like this is. This this guy is acting out of compulsion, like he cannot control himself, and to a certain extent that he doesn't, that he is unsure. Like it's it's kind of strange where we we kind of have this idea of, um, you know, what a murderer is, and even in our own, you know, if you see how people react to issues of crime or or something, you think of our own, you know, modern portrayals of it with the you know our, uh, pulse shooting Casey Anthony, yeah. O.J. Simpson. Um, you know, we look at like crime issues. And, you know, our culture's fascination with this kind of, uh, I mean, for once again, I mean, if this movie's famous for anything, um, serial killer genre and the police procedural, right? Yeah. Two things kind of really coming out of this. Uh, and, and, you know, seeing this, this portrayal of But this is the first time we see, we see our killer struggling with this issue, too, because mm-hmm. it's, you know, we're, we're led to believe, and even more so at the end, you know, that he, he doesn't want to kill, but he can't help himself. Yeah, he has to, he, he in a sense, has to do this. Yes. So, so as he is beginning to kind of move through this... Uh, through this period, um, you know, we kind of, we, we see this about him. I think it's a neat idea. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, but then, you know, but then we start following him, you know, this compulsion. Yeah, he, uh, you know, this compulsion is still drawing on him and he does find himself another subject. Yes. And then we get, we get the normal pattern of yes. how this seems to go through, right? Buying candy, um, you know, uh, engaging the young girl's trust. 
Uh, and what, what happens, of course, is that the killer, as he kind of engages in this mode and begins the, really the process. The, the process again, of because murdering. he's got, he's got kind of a, he, he's got a pattern that he goes through every time. Yeah, absolutely. And a ritual almost, yes. you know, and he begins to whistle the song again. And he goes to the balloon stand mm-hmm. again. Like I said, we're going through all, he's going through all his same patterns. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, what happens this time is that um, the same balloon stand that we heard previous, uh, uh, the balloon stand where we saw the first murder really take place, uh, the guy remembers. He 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 hears this. And he's also song. part of the Tramp Guild. Yes, he is, of course. And uh, blind as well, of course. So Yes. And, uh, there is, it, and in case you don't know he's blind, he does have a sign on him that reads <laughs> blind so Luckily that enough, everybody knows. It says blind, which in German means, means deaf. No, it doesn't. <laughs> no, okay. <It's> yeah. <laughs> I was just ignorant enough in German to believe you. There. Look, some some things in German are dumb that way. Okay. The word gift gift is the word for poison. Orange Schaften is apple juice. Yeah. Oh, Verboten cool. does not mean you should take your boat there. <laughs> oh, it I means was, you're not supposed to go there. Yeah, that means forbidden. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> so the tramp, the blind tramp, hears the song, uh, relays it to another one of the tramp guild. Uh, he says, "Do you hear the the whistling?" Yeah, we got the midnight bark of tramp guilds yeah. basically going. Yeah, he going, sends we out, got his, him. We sends got out him. his tramp flare yeah. and uh, you know calls. <laughs> and then this is so so in this this brilliant piece because of course these are not trained police; these are tramps. They got to figure out how to not lose this lose uh, Hans. And Hans is kind of realizing that people might be onto him. So one of our tramps draws a big M on his hand yeah, in chalk. chalk yep. Just walks by. Taps Hans on the shoulder, and now he is marked. Yes, with of course the M, which with stands M. for murder. Yes, which is, I understand Adultery. is also German for murder. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> mord it, mord it. Yeah. So uh, that is where we get our M from. So he is marked, and all of the uh, Tramp Association is is kind of working in the backgrounds to try to not lose this yeah. guy. And I think I mean David's kind of pointed out too. Um, you know, when you see these kinds of like small. Little dramas that unfold yeah. in the film—they are overacted. You know, like <laughs> yeah. I mean, like um, okay. So there's a guy named Peter Bogdanovich. He's a former director. Yeah. Um, he's also a film historian and a writer of uh, one of I think one of the best American writers of film of, of cinema that we have out there. Peter Bogdanovich. If you need to hear that name again, uh, look up some of his work. But uh, one of the essays I've seen that talks about this is um, a lot of cinema during this period comes from. Um, you know, the the vaudeville silent era where overacting is part of the style of this. It's, so it would well, be when you didn't have the sound aspect. Yes. That's how people express their emotions through film. So one of the things I learned when I was a teenager trying to do things that I wanted to get away with and not caught, right? <laughs> was that when you feel you're going to get when you feel that someone might be on to you, don't like stop doing something. Don't act dramatically, yeah. right? Like just continue with what you're doing and moving on and don't act like you've been caught. And odds are you won't get caught. Like people won't suspect anything. Oh, well, this is what they don't do, right? This is kind of like the cl- <laughs> where the tramps are walking and he turns around saying the tramps are like turning direction with their hands in their pockets and like, <laughs> like whistling, you know, like, <laughs> oh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. So let's look at this paper upside down for a minute. You know, so I mean, it is rather ham handed, but the tramps at least are trying to like, pass the info off to each other, yeah. you know, so like to follow him for a block and then hand off to the next tramp. Yeah. And as he's continuing though, you know, going with this young girl, I mean, knowing, I mean, it's kind of odd because we're kind of goofily laughing about how this scene is really drawing tension to the fact that this 
guys probably going to like rape and murder this girl. And I mean, you know, I got to kind of remind myself as I go through it, but it does lead to um, one of the best sequences and individual shots in film that I is like really famous. If you look up this M film and you search it for Google and you look at the images, you'll probably see the very, very famous image of the, of this hand and then an M drawn on the hand. Uh, the other major scene or kind of like iconic image you'll see from this film uh, is when uh, Hans discovers the M on his back. Mm -hmm. uh, the young girl says, Hey, you've got something on your shoulder and you can see him like look on your coat and he's looking around. It's like, no, it's on your shoulder. And he goes and he bends, or he turns around to look at his shoulder, and he sees in the him, himself yeah. in the mirror reflected back the M on his shoulder, and it's a very, very cool scene. Someone looking, and this idea of being noticed and, and knowing that, that you're marked, identified. Like, yeah, you're yeah. no longer hiding. He's You've got, been exposed yeah, to who he's you got, are. Uh, he's got a, his... Um, Scarlet Letter, basically. Yeah, to see himself yeah. seeing that he's marked is a very, very cool shot. And uh, once again, like Peter Laurie, for you know, for us, for those of us who watch a lot of film, like he is famous for a reason. And his like his he goes through about five reactions <laughs> in that shot that all are very, very well he's done. He's very, very cool. he's very, very expressive. Yes, he's good at the bug eye. Yes, oh, well, is, like he's he gets he scared is, all of a sudden. He is the yeah. bug eye. <laughs> And um and then and, he gets he he obviously knows that they're on to him because as he's looking at himself in the reflection, another cool scene is we see one of the tramps also reflected in that image, and Han sees that he's being watched by someone who of course ducks behind and blows everything. And then um, we get some silent closed circuit camera footage yes. of him being pursued. Yeah, pursued so and the, chased, yeah, yeah, then there's 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 this it's a little lengthy sequence, but you know, he basically, you know, traps himself in an office building and the tramp slash underworld underworld guild is trying to get at him before the police are which you know you might think well why don't you just turn him in the police into the police but no they don't want to turn him into the police they have their own method of administering justice right. that which, they which want they will to. explicate in due course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they don't they don't make it entirely obvious. It actually sounds like a prideful thing. Safe Safe Cracker makes it sound like he wants to be the guy that gets him, mm -hmm. but he ends up having a, an ulterior motive for not letting the cops get their hands on yeah. him. So I mean, and this is do we uh, just real okay. quick. I mean, when he's trapped in the office building, there's a rather lengthy sequence. It's very lengthy. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it is probably one of the least enjoyable parts of the movie. I do have to say that we get yeah. this it's a like break in. It's a little confusing. It's a little messy. I, I think yeah. Lang liked the. And to be fair, I like some of the ideas that are built into this. Basically, it is a. Um, it's a silent op where you need to have uh, you, you need to gain control of the office building so that he doesn't leave. Mm -hmm. But there are guards because it's nighttime, and the guards have a very video game esque thing going on where they all have alarms that are attached to one another by clocks, and they have a key yep. that they have to reload the spring on the clock because if the clocks if any of the clocks go out of sync, the police get a ticker tape signal to come. Yep, it is. The most video game, it's the most Splinter Cell ass thing I have seen. <laughs> and I've never seen it in one of these games, which is weird. But enough about yeah, that. Yeah, no. <laughs> there's, okay, just... there's, there's a contrivance putting the scene together. It's just Lang hammers on it for so long. Yeah, it, it does. It is, it is probably the least enjoyable part of the film, unfortunately. Um, by the way, okay, if you want to know another great sequence, um, there's a movie called Nightwatch with Ewan McGregor where he gets a yeah. job as a, as a security, security guard, guard in a, in like a coroner, big coroner medical facility. And 
he carries the he carries the the timer on him, and as he he has to make his rounds at specific yeah, parts, I've seen that in and there's keys hanging yeah, from I've him, and he's got to like hit the key. Various movies yeah. with the security where they have to go around and and, and yeah, clock the, in every but the, so but the, the so clocks often. On them yeah. rather than the key, and then the keys at specific points, and one of them is in the more anyway. Um, but yeah, but this is just a manual version where they have to manually crank the clock, or it, it, yeah. and it's great because the. It sends a, a telegraph message to the police when station. When it when it goes off. Yeah. When it goes off, and and the telegraph basically just uh, prints out the number uh, of the of address the that it came from. Well, it's and not it's, even the address. It's it's, it's a lot, the lot because they have yeah. to then reference in a book. They have to go <laughs> it's, find three one four. So you can see kind of oh, the, like the, the, the card. Yeah, they yeah. Like the punch card. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 like some good IBM punch card technology. It's that's, pretty impressive. That's back when electronics were cool. Yeah, man. This there was an entire era <laughs> back yeah. in that time when when they didn't like you couldn't just throw. 800 billion computer cycles yeah. at something you had to like actually come up with an economical way to ma- and yeah really the punch card era the slide rule era, like yeah. these are these are romantic beautiful <laughs> times in technology and they just pass us by now and i'm really sad for that oh yeah like the way that if if you've never looked up how the hell a ship in 1914 <laughs> hit another ship miles away without a computer Mm -hmm. look that shit up because (laughs) they have some and it's not even just like mathematics it's not just pencil and paper wooden contraptions that you can set up coordinates in and they will physically inform right it's it's fabulous absolutely we lost something. That's oh, all no. I'll say. Like the the, preci- the precision in making those kind of instruments, though, is what we've also seemed to have lost. Like the well, kind of care that's that goes the analog into versus like, digital. Yeah. I mean, if you if you don't build that to certain tolerances, it's inaccurate. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you build an inaccurate calculator. Yeah, well, and that's beautiful. Yeah, no, it is. It is fucking cool. And um, but okay. So one of the other cool things that I got to kind of mention, um, there's some really almost humorous kind of scenes that go through it. Uh, but, oh, no, I've got, I'm sorry. Well, okay. One of the things I'll, I do like about this sequence, once again, sound playing an important role. So Hans is is trapped. It's almost like a like a storage facility kind of thing. Yeah, he's kind, kind of, of like, he's kind of on the, like the, the level that has just various little storage units, which actually I thought was funny too because I never thought of people in like 1931 as like having 1930, yeah. storage units. But shit. yeah, like yeah. people had little storage units and, and he's, with all their crap that yeah, they couldn't he's fit. He's like locked himself in here and he's, um and how he's given away is that he's found um this, this he's trying to hammer or, or knock this nail into the mortar of the brick floor so that it can bend so he can kind of pick the lock to get himself out. And as the crimes are, uh, as the criminals are are scouring this office building to find the murderer, that's what gives him away is the sound of this thing going through yeah. this. And so they have a cool moment where the, he doesn't, where Hans, the murderer, doesn't know he's been discovered and they're going to got to go in and get him. Um, there's also some really great shots of him hiding in these kind of weird storage units. Yeah, he's units. like hiding in like some and baskets the light, the behind some chairs. The light's coming in different ways with the bar, with the with the shadows, and then the really uh, cluttered, you see the crowded eyes. screen. Yeah, oh, it's good <laughs> stuff. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so the sound gives him away. The the sequences and the visuals of him hiding among the stuff I think is very cool overall. One of my favorite little shots of the whole sequence. But I'm ready to get off that because by by the end of it, the because the criminals is, get away is, except this, for one, save for one. This, this is the part of movies that has unequivocally improved over time. Yes, yeah, we can do action pretty well now. Well, and, and building the kind of suspense in a sequence like this is something that. Um, 
you know, we today when you tend to see it, if you if you'll notice this, if there's like a long like like sequence, like a usually like in like in a like heist movies, for example, yeah. we talked about one of the things you'll notice, and it's actually kind of fun to do, is that the editing gets quicker. Uh, the, it gets meaning, tighter. Yeah, yeah. Meaning, that, meaning that the shot length of each individual shot before the next uh, cut or edit becomes shorter and shorter and shorter. So the cuts become quicker and quicker as the action pr- proceeds. You'll see that as a very common technique, apart, of course, from the, the swelling, intense soundtrack that might come with this also. Um, but once again, like you said, we've really developed from this. And I think that that is... Uh, one of the things that has that has aged very poorly on this film, primarily. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but regardless, so the the criminals get their man right. Yes. They capture Hans. They get away. Um, one of the thieves gets left in one of the buildings. They have to they have to vamoose so quickly, so to speak. Um, after one of these alarms goes off and they're alerted to the police coming after them, there's a great scene where the guy comes up and doesn't know he's caught. And it kind of is mirrored at the very end of the film as well. He, he comes up bitching at his friends like, where the, you know, where the hell is everybody? I'm here. You know, and he, and he comes up and he looks up and then he puts his hands up because he's obviously surrounded by like nine police officers. Yeah, he was thinking his buddies were going to be at the top of the hole, but yeah. nope, it was the it's, police. It's the police. And it's a really kind of funny realization scene that comes from there. So. Um, so this Hans has been captured. Yeah, is, Hans has been is, captured. Okay. This is, this is always... This sequence sticks with me the most out of this movie because which which one specifically? Because well, well, there's well, there's two left. Well, we're, well, in the, we're in the trial. I what think. we're moving oh, no, no, into? No, there's one before. Was the, the, the interrogation? The interrogation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so our poor guy that got caught yeah. gets interrogated. Mm-hmm. I think his name's Fritz, but I could be making that up. Yep, it sounds <laughs> about right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's German. Um, it's just another Hans. He just picked Hans again. Yeah. No, yeah. the um, no, this is uh. We figured out how, not quite in the same way, because there's some charm to the way that this interrogation scene goes down, but uh, interrogation rooms have changed. (laughs) Um, Because Fritz, for lack of a better name, um, is going to, is, is being, he's being not torn into necessarily. Uh, They're still in the good cop, bad cop routine. The bad cop is the one who's asking the questions. But he's not screaming because he knows Fritz is going to give up the ghost because they know things about Fritz. They already got a file on Fritz. Yes. But they're not clever and douchey about it the way that they are in modern detective films where the light would be only on, it would be a spotlight on Fritz in a perfectly dark room with, with just the detective across from him, and a couple of incriminating documents. And then the mirror, the mirror where everyone else is watching in the yeah, other Yeah, and there'd be the one-way mirror, yeah. and they'd have someone controlling the AC. So you'd have <laughs> all of this. In this scene, the commissioner is asking for these questions at his desk, covered with garbage, <laughs> in his office, and the guy who we presume is going to be the good cop in this routine is just sitting there. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's no suspense to this whatsoever. This is literally, this is draft one of how to investigate right. So are you criminal. saying that this is not how Jack Bauer handles? Um, uh, yeah. I've seen it done differently, I guess would be the way to say it. No, but but it's funny because all the elements of an interrogation that we expect are still there. Yeah. It is so it is so specifically seminal that way. We've got we've got one cop and another cop who are going to play different roles in the scene. The initial line of questioning, the straggler pretends to have no idea what's going on. Oh yeah. They send him off, the police they confer about how they're going to get him and they've got an angle. Mhm. 
And then they play that angle, and this one is that he doesn't want to get caught on a murder rap, so they bring Fritz into the homicide detective room. And then yep. he's like, why am I here? Why am I here? Like, this is the murder room. And I then, didn't murder anyone. And then they push on him, and he lets it go. Like, it's, it is a per, even though it's totally... Not thematically, but it's it's not aesthetically recognizable as an investiga- as a uh, interrogation scene. It is so just that. Yeah. Yeah. And most of the elements that it, it, it contains everything that we expect it to have. Mm-hmm. Like we have only developed on it in terms of its brevity and suspense mm-hmm. and severity. Like everything is already here. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which it, is cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's um it's also some funny things because several times in the film. The dialogue or the the interaction will refer to a character, and then the visuals will show that character almost at that present time. So one of the things you see is is that the guard that the that the criminals injure at the be- at this office building at the beginning to get entrance yeah. into it, they obviously rough him up to kind of get the information out from him. And this is the homicide that they're accusing this guy of happening. This, the injuries suffered by this guy have killed him. This is the bluff they're kind of putting forward. Yeah, it's even a bluff. Yeah. Like, yeah. they don't even... Yeah, like, the murder they're after is the, is the, is the guard. Yeah, and this the is thing so is, quins- yeah. quintessential. So before the interrogation, they talk to the guard, and then they release him. And then while they are interrogating the guy and talking about the guard, we see a shot of the guard, you know, bruised face... And he's like eating sausages. You know, he's got like yeah. this huge meal in front of him. Like he's at like he's at home or at the bar, like eating a meal after his ordeal. Um, but it's a very cute little. It's a very cool little scene that was kind of just thrown into there as well as they talk about the guard and just to remind us that in fact he's not dead. That this is a bluff. We get this kind of cool shot of him like very eagerly, let's say, drinking a very large beer. By the way, very it's large a very beer. German meal. It's a very German meal yeah. of so- of multiple types of animals of and intestines. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, cooked in intestines and uh, uh, and beer and mustaches. So. Um, once again, very cool little scene. Uh, but once again, what the police find is, and it's kind of neat too that like the police kind of like realizing what the fuck is going on here, you know, they're like, because <laughs> they get this huge office part, office building. There's like, you know, probably like a half a dozen break ins at different businesses in here. And as they go through, they're like, well, they didn't take anything. And then once again, we see like images of like doors uh, being broken into, of of walls or floors being, being, crashed through locks but then being we see, picked yeah but yeah. then we see like safes and file cabinets pristine yes right it's very cool juxtaposition <laughs> between like the the roughness of them breaking into these areas and then the pristine nature of everything that was located that you would in them that, yeah, that would have been hit. broken into yes. yeah. so it's a cool little reveal that happens with that once again very neat in the visual storytelling of this um uh, very clean and effective i think also um, but then now we move on. Now we move on to the trial, okay. right? So, so this, yeah, I, the criminals I, have taken. I find Hans. this the most. This, this every time I watch this movie, this is like the most like shocking part of it. Most because good stuff. Oh, because good. I mean, obviously, when you catch a murderer, he has to have a trial. But the thing is, the police did not catch Hans. Yes, our underworld does. But they're they are just people too. Mm-hmm. And what are they going to do? They are going to put him on trial in an old factory building. Quote, amongst a jury of his peers, unquote. Believe me, you did not want to hear the original recording of that. We get Hans into a old rundown factory and the whole, like, like the whole town is there. Everybody whose kids have died is there. 
Like, like everybody is there waiting to judge this man. They even have representation for him. He yeah, has yeah. his own lawyer. So that one, lawyer is one of my favorite okay, characters. Okay, yeah. <laughs> one, one quick thing. Um, so the, the, the shots that open this up is a very tight shot of, like, a, a dark doorway, hallway, like, leading into a small doorway or hallway. We're underground, seemingly. Everything's yeah. stone during this part. Um, and then, so this is kind of, like, in center frame. And then right off to the right is a very steep stairwell. And just the top of that little second story above the above the doorway, uh, above the um the the hallway area I'm talking about that was uh, was blacked out with sh- with shadows. And what's it fucking cool? Uh, like the I don't know why that haunts me so much. It's a very no the whole it's, sequence yeah. is very haunting. So so we see like feet, like just the tips of feet, <laughs> and then they co- and then coming down the stairs are these two big honking guys, and then they go into this little hallway and go into the darkness. And then we hear Hans shrieking, you know, like these, get off of, you know, like you don't, what are you doing? And they're pulling him out of here and then getting him up. And then we see him, we see another doorway and another set of stairs and we hear Hans coming closer and closer and they get the door open and they, the violence of the scene is rather shocking. Like Hans has his jacket thrown over his head and he is thrown down the stairs um once again when you read bogdanovich writes about this um lang had a kind of fritz lang the director kind of was famous for putting his actors in difficult positions there's a great one i think it's in fury no um it's in a later one of his film noirs um where the actor is in ropes and the he goes and they burn the ropes off to free him from the ropes and that was actually the actor himself, and he actually burns his arm. He gets second-degree burns from the scene. Um, Bogdanovich says that uh, Peter Lorre was thrown down over two dozen times uh, in 24 different takes down this stairwell. Those crazy um, crowd And then, of course, he then goes, and the, all of this leading up to the, the trial. Like, they yes. did those two, the, his speech and these sequences on the same day. So after being thrown down the stairs two dozen times, he then gives his famous speech during the trial during the same period. Um and then, of course, when he gets finally thrown down, he's he's irate. He's he's vicious towards these people that are doing this, and he turns around, and it's it's a really great shot of this like cellar like area, and there are like I said, the whole town, like two hundred people there. crammed in face on top of face. Yes, and it's and it pans All across. All really solemn looking. Yeah, nobody, no movement. It pans across these faces at him. And Laurie, he knows he's in some shit, you know, like mm-hmm. he's like, because he goes from very upset to, and then he gets kind of indignant about where do you take me? And then he's like, yeah, what are oh, you doing wait, to me? And then people, like, oh, well, now I know what's happening. Yeah, yeah. these, these people and, know what they're doing. And in front as the representatives of the public, we have a wooden <laughs> table with five underground lords with the safe cracker with presiding yeah, with <laughs> safe cracker, Riddler impersonator in the middle <laughs> with his cane and bowler hat. Again, he's, every, very, he's very Gershwin, isn't oh, he? Like oh, yeah. the Riddler. Yeah, no, he, I, that's good shit. I yeah, just, very much so. I know. That's um, nothing new under the sun when no. it comes to Batman villains. Yeah. <laughs> no, like I said, every, I everything wanna, is borrowed from this. Yeah, yeah no. I okay. actually, actually want to do an aside on that at the end of this, but uh, <laughs> okay, which, so. which ties pretty well into the thing about roughing him up. But uh, so now Hans has to uh, make his case. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's been appointed. Uh, he does have defense. Yes, he does have defense. <laughs> he's been appointed. Some uh, some legal help. Uh, how much help this person's going to be? Uh, even he's not entirely sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he defended him to the best of his abilities. No, absolutely. And what I love uh, what yeah, I love yeah. about the way that he does it is that he 
the lawyer exercises his full right as legal counsel and demands fairness and to some degree attempts to channel moral outrage that they would just kill this man outright. But he does it with a resignation yes. that this is in fact mob rule and the the way that that the way that he portrays both of those at the same time, where he's got a he's got a gameness to him that mm-hmm. seems like it it seems out of place because this guy clearly kind of has to know that the writing's on the wall, but he's going to give it his best shot. Yeah. No, yeah. but you think because the the way the di- the way that the 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 point counterpoint kind of happens in this trial like mm-hmm. area, um, that you have this really visceral. You know this very visceral revenge-like attitude coming from the crowd and the judges and and the, the prosecution, if you will. Um, uh, safe cracker playing judge jury, jury yeah. and seemingly, yeah. seemingly probably execution. Yeah. yeah. Um, but once again, there is. I mean, there is a kind of like like you said, mob viciousness that comes from the kind of accusations and the um, the the arguments put forward by the defense. Seemingly are rhetorical, right? Are like you know he he stands up, he has he he like puts his he he has his hand resting on a book as he yeah. as he gives it. He has this long flowy like scarf that seems to like and he's and he's in this long coat which yeah. gives him this kind of like judicial robe like kind of approach. And yet his arguments. I'm not, once again I'm trying to think of a good word to describe the kind of sterility of like going through the motions. Because the the, elo- the like phony el- eloquence of the like legalistic arguments that he puts forward are out of place and then delivered with so with such insincerity that it's almost like in order to exert the kind of mob revenge justice we want here, we have to kind of give semblance or lip service to the kind of like constitutional, you know, like state sanctioned mm-hmm. murder for revenge is not real just like we have to like give some like you know like well, pay our be- dues to that you know and well then we yeah can like they're it. still holding like reverence to the judicial system even though this is essentially like mob justice yeah well, but and this is where the reason why safecracker wanted him found for his own purposes yeah. comes out and it's presumably the reason why he bothers to have a defense in the first place is he wants Safecracker wants law and order. Obviously, he's a crime lord. Yes, they thrive on order. Yeah, um, it's predictable, right? Yeah, like, yeah it's, it's, <laughs> that's that's how you make money. It's, it's the yeah. game. It's like a, it's the part of the game. It's about knowing. Yeah. The uh, but there is one part that he holds in contempt, and that is law enforcement itself, mm-hmm. specifically in the form of retribution. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a good um, point. Yeah, because. Yeah. Safecracker, uh, in response to the defense's account of the moral outrage of murdering this man without uh, proper prosecution, you, you can't. I cannot, in good conscience, yeah, allow yeah, you exactly. to kill this man. Just... Sa- Safecracker <laughs> explains that if we give this guy to the cops, sure, they'll probably put him away for five years. Yep. Yeah. And then he'll get out. Because he already did. Yeah, obviously some other institution had already deemed him safe for society incorrectly We uh, know how this plays out. We know this guy is dangerous. We know that he's not going to be saved or he's not going to turn around. He's not going to become a good person. He's a bad person. No, there's – well, and then, then, you know, then there's, of course, the the Peter Lorre where he is uh, basically pleading – 
his case. And that's it's a that's very, where his retort comes yeah, in. Yeah, and it's it's a very like visceral, emotional like. It is. Yeah, it's, it is a, great it's a great. <laughs> it's a great scene. It is. Um, and again, remarkably it, mature for a Hollywood film. Yeah, I mean because not Hollywood, I guess that's probably but, why. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> we, we we hadn't even really reached the Hollywood era yet. No. We were still a couple years behind. Yeah, it doesn't that. get there until people like Fritz Lang come over from yeah. Europe and, and no, but um, the, the interpretation into, of mm-hmm. but how they of deal that but how is, they deal with his particular psychological issue. Like I said, I really don't have too many qualms with it. It was dealt with very well, and the performance of like. I don't want to try to just reiterate it. It's worth just watching, but the the whole performance of uh, it's him basically, you know, explaining his situation. His is desperation very... feels way more honest yeah. than it usually does because it doesn't. It it feels like he's been trapped in his head, but he's still kind of in the same way that the defense lawyer is. He's standing up for something, but he knows he's not going to win. Um, Hans looks like he knows that what he's saying doesn't make sense to other people. Yes, yeah. He looks like he's explained this because before. He, because he's, he's been suffering this his whole life. It is a compulsion that he cannot control. He even says that, like, he doesn't remember murdering because he just, like, blanks out in those, in those moments at and, one point. And, and he doesn't, and whether that's true or not, he acts like... The people around him don't believe him don't when he says that because yeah. he's presumably used to that. Well, um, it, there's a kind of like dualness to the to the idea that once again you find that he is compelled to do this, and he describes it not once again not in holy religious ideas like demonic, but that it talks about this idea that there's this voice, this otherness that's compelling yeah. him to do it, and that it's 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 oppressive. It is um it is omnipresent that, yeah. and then but really what's fucking amazing and what's really chilling is when he talks even he says it, it follows me it's everywhere he's like i walk the st- street i i walk the street like, i just I, I can't stop and he, you know he said and then he even references how the the victims the ghosts of, of the parents they they're following me too and he and he knows this and then he says it all it all goes away it, it, he says it's always it all but it all goes away when He's, he's, in, mur- he's murdering, in and like, act. man, like, that fucking shift, like, the way that that comes out in his face is really, really, really it's a, haunting. It's an and, excellent, yeah. it's yeah. an excellent so you, you, sequence. You get this, you get a whole range, and like you said, like, the, it the, is, he is not a sympathetic character, right? He, the, the film does not go through the, setting this up as some sort of, like, way in which this has to happen. Now, I, I don't know, I, you know, I, as odd as this might sound, I've seen like several documentaries about like Jeffrey Dahmer, right? The old serial mm-hmm. killer that was out there. Um, and one of the things that you, that when you kind of learn about some of the details about Jeffrey Dahmer, who was a cannibal and did really horrible thing. I mean, like, but by the end of hit, by the end of before he gets caught, um, he is an alcoholic. I mean, he is someone who is, um, had almost drank, drank, drank himself to death at several okay. points in the year or two before he finally gets caught, uh, because of this, this seeming separation this burden. Yeah. That like there's, there, with him, there's like this disembodied nature to what he goes through and this compulsion to do this. That does once again, seem like pathological in a, in a kind of, I mean, in a scientific sense, like this might be something that is 
maybe hardwired, right? Not part of the software, but maybe part of the well, hardware of how these people are put together. Well, that's definitely the, the kind of feeling you get is that there's something wired incorrectly with him and, you know, that that it is something that he he has to, bur- like, he is burdened with every day because there's no solution for this. And how he, and like what David said, like, it's so ingrained in a part of him, right? If it was something that he, because once again, like, someone who was, like, sociopathic, right, who knew this was a part of them and also knew how to, like, lie about it, mm-hmm. like, that would be something entirely different, right? But, I mean, the kind of, like, genuine frustration that he says, I... Like you said, like he knows this will sound crazy. Yeah. And he's like, I don't even, I can't believe that this is happening it's, to me. It's, like, it's, it's what, very cool. It's exactly what makes desperation from psychopathology the way that it is, is that it's, it's something that he has presumably not told in this level of detail, but when he attempts to explain to other people, like for example, clinicians mm-hmm. at an infirmary, um, a mental, I, for mental institution. I guess was the term. Um, they used to call them asylums. Yeah. yeah, whatever whatever term this particular era gave to them. Um, the couple of people that he would explain this to, even he, even those people, are beyond the pale when it comes to explaining what makes the voices go away. The most he can possibly do is talk about the first half of this ailment, which is that there are voices compelling him to do things. This is his moment. To lay down the second half yeah, exactly. of his ailment. Yeah. And he takes it knowing that he will be judged harshly for it. Yes, absolutely. And again, his, it's it's a fabulous portrayal. But his defense man. does, you know, they try to plead insanity. Um, but yet again, <laughs> That's like... That's not good enough. But yet again, we get to the same point where if, if that is the case, what's to stop him from being checked into an institution and then being released again yeah. in mm-hmm. a few more years? No, it's... It, you have to deal, and this is the way that the police, as opposed to the criminal underworld, are allowed to deal with this social ailment. He is an animal. Mm-hmm. He is not human. Mm-hmm. He cannot be let go, even among a jury of his peers, which are a bunch of elective criminals for yeah. the most part, because <laughs> uh, most of them are the the beggars and thugs who tracked him down in the first place. Even these people, he is other even to the world of the hostile. Yeah. Um, because that world has its own order, and his is a third in violation of those two, mm-hmm. um, the two that we're more familiar with. And uh, being other is hard sometimes, especially when it uh, compels you to... Murder children. Yeah. Yeah. No, and well, so we, in a sense, he is found guilty. Yes. Um, yeah. and, <laughs> and there is a... Um, uh, uh, the judgment sentence is going to be carried out right then and there. And yeah. um, one of the great, se- one, once again, another one of the great sequences. I mean, once like like you said, the ending of this trial, the trial itself is is it's, really it's very, great. It's very haunting. Man, it's, it's excellent. And when they go in for the lynch, when they go in for the ex- execute, execute the sentence, people are charging towards him. People stop. Suddenly, they stop on their tracks. Um, we don't know why, but then all of a sudden, everyone, once again, maybe a hundred people, hundred fifty people in this shot. Everyone suddenly stands up straight, slowly puts their hands up, and like all together in a kind of coordinated way. Right, right before we oh, had our mod roll, and um, the police, yeah, the police conveniently up the show up, and of course, it's very cool too because we see we see we see this almost from um, from Hans the murderer's yeah. perspective, right? We see the people charge in, we see them stop, 
We see them put their hands up together. And then, of course, the last person to do it finally who relents is Safe Cracker, who, after everyone's already got their hands up, he finally stands up himself and yeah. throws his hands back. We see Hans kneeling on from his position on the floor, looking at them, wide-faced, big, bug-eyed, if you will, uh, and then a soul hand come down and grasp him on the shoulder and say, in the name of the law, seemingly almost like the Miranda Wright kind yeah, of charge. Yeah, whatever the German version um, of that was in 31. And then the film wraps up rather fucking quickly from there. We see an empty panel, uh, an empty panel uh, for judges. We see the judges come in. We see a shot of the mother... Uh, from Elsie's mother mm-hmm. and seemingly other women in, in mourning, uh, lamenting the kinder, the tinder, the children, the children. Uh, we're fucking done. Like, that's the end of the movie. Yeah, we fade to white. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no credits in these early yeah. movies like that. Same old shit. Yeah. And uh, I think, once again, made her point, got out. Um, Fritz Lang's M, everybody. Uh, yeah. So, um, anyone want to go? Because I got a couple ideas I want to kind of roll through real quickly as well. But um, I'll, I'll kind of ideas break them do up. you got going on? So, I. Uh, all right, so let's do the easy shit out of the way first, all right? So this is 31. we got the Nazis on the rise. Um, Fritz Lang fucking hates what's happening to his country. Like, I think this movie is first and foremost a seeming indictment of what go- is going on in his culture. Uh, David, you mentioned one of my favorite scenes where you talked about the, the, the five men sitting around the table yeah. uh, at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. And we were talking before about how fucking ugly everyone is. Like, I mean, like, like physically odd looking like asymmetrical facial features like uh, the tower of terror at disney i always think that they pick the weirdest like entry-level cast members at disney to put into there because you walk through then everyone's like like eyes are like slightly off like shannon doherty like at their nose the one nostril smaller than the other you know like that's weird anyway so flip yeah these people are m characters to fritz lang's m (laughs) anyway so (laughs) um but i mean so we get some really unflattering portrayals of German society through this. You talked before about the kind of paranoia that happens through this, that like the logical leaps that people will take in accusing each other of murder with seemingly no evidence and faulty faulty pretense, maybe even because they had a personal grudge against someone. Or even just, um, you know, the militancy of the police when they are rounding up the underworld. I mean, they literally round up everybody that's awake and and are like papers. Well, they and, go to a bar and yeah. everybody who doesn't have papers goes yeah. to the precinct. Yeah, and they're, they're like, yeah. but like the way that people are like jeering them. Yeah, you know, like the interaction between the two are not good. Like, you know, Lang is once again Lang leaves his country. I mean, I you know, um, what is it called when you get banished from your country? Oh, uh, exiled. 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 Yeah, like man, I always thought it becomes be, an expat. Yeah, man, but like I always thought it'd be cool, like to be exiled from a country. I mean, like I mean, if I was like, mm-hmm. if I was so dangerous that they couldn't kill me, mm-hmm. you know, like I had to get exiled from somewhere. Man, how do you and, do that? In, and what in if modern you got world? exiled after being offered? Um, amnesty from your Jewishness. Yes, because so that you could run the Nazi film program. I yeah. mean, that's some <laughs> tall order shit going yeah. on there. And like this is the kind of environment that let Fritz Lang is in, is enveloped within this. It should also be said that his next film in German is The Testament of Dr. Mabuse, and it is a film that is a direct kind of confrontation where the Nazism in this film is not on display. Rather, the kind of culture that looks to the kind of repressive, reactionary, um, Ill, the, the, the search and desire for solutions that don't 
that don't respect the kind of legal traditions or the res the respect for individuals that should come from right, right we have rules and restrictions so that those things can be protected yeah. not so that they can be exploited for the sake of fucking efficiency or justice right that's why we have those rules we don't and i mean i know it's difficult but the idea that there is this like contemptuousness that people hold that towards and hold in and, and see in each other and will treat each other in that way, I think is directly being confronted here by Lang and the kind of ugliness. I mean, when you look at these shots, like there are several shots where, for example, like the guard eating, like there was nothing like we said it was very German. But if you told a German that like, oh, I think this is very German, every German would say like, the fuck do you think like is that we think that's not what you think <laughs> yes, about my people yes, like that's, that's not we, a, that's what we think yes, about it's not a flowering there glory is, there portrayal is a great, of there's a great there's a great camera angle of a fat man sitting in a chair and we have a lower king angle on the camera yes. facing up and basically it is just straight up moose knuckles and the guy's like going on and on and on and the camera just sits there and like what could yeah, he's the police commissioner the most like unattractive shot you could possibly take of someone sitting in a chair. But once again, like the portrayal of like the high police yeah. official, he's, he's overweight, he's fat and, and his clothes are by design too tight for his body. Yeah. I mean, it's not just his massive package that's hanging out in this <laughs> shot, but if you looked at him also, I mean, his, his, he fills his clothes so much. And I mean, once again, like Lang is a, vi is someone who is visually motivated, right? He comes from the silent era and the visuals, the casting choices, the lighting, the way that the that, that German society is represented here. Once again, it, it it is not done for comedic effect in the sense that we're meant to laugh and say like, well, this is kind of an odd choice. The oddities of this film add up over time. And I got to say that, you know, some films have made me feel like kind of grimy after watching. <laughs> and this is one of those films for this reason. He is saying that there is a kind, I think... The griminess, uh, the disease-ridden idea. Like I, this is, I think Frank Lang is saying that German society is sick, and that he, I'm going to kind of demonstrate and show the sickness to you. And once again, when you take this in con in the context of film being this kind of like tuxedoed high society, everyone's attractive. You know, like every movie you would have seen in the in the months leading up to and after Fritz Lang's M would have been movies about that. Yeah. But M is in the gutter. M is in the basements. M is in the realm in which people are, you know, everyday people. I mean, once yeah. again, go around your neighborhoods. <laughs> like, you know, like look at people. Like the world is filled with unattractive sh people and unattractive things. Hollywood hasn't fixed everything. No. no. And these, and these, and this film is demonstrating this in an intentional way. I mean, there have been movies that show ordinary ugliness in its own representational, in a more sympathetic light. And M is not, and is not sympathetic to the ugliness in which it's portraying. And I think it's a very powerful statement going through that. So that's my initial opening uh, uh, salvo of ideas and interpretations. How, how, how are we doing here? What? Oh, I, it, was, it was reminding me heavily of, it, I don't even know if it was a conversation that I had recently, but it's a thing that comes up a lot when you read literature from eras that you were not part of mm -hmm. and you don't recognize all the winking and nodding. Right. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, read, read a book from modern day. It is, regardless of what era it's supposed to be portraying, it's loaded with stuff that is only there because of the zeitgeist in which it was written. Absolutely. And M could absolutely be seen through that lens. A lot of Shakespeare is weird that way where 
uh, even beyond inventing a lot of the language, most of what Shakespeare is about has a timeless quality, and then all the rest of it is just in jokes to his era, right. and yeah. maybe not even oh, no. era, but generation. Well, yeah, it, it's like it's like Friends. Like his comedies are like episodes of Friends, basically. Yeah, it's just it's, like schlocky silliness that's well, applicable to. And I think it's kind of. I mean, once again, it's not. It, I think it's kind of neat to go back and look at these things and understand their historical context. But we, I mean, we are not kind of people who will also kind of say that this is why you have to like this, right? Like we don't, I mean, I don't think oh, that yeah, we, yeah. Well, like, no, and this I mean, is, like, this like you said, the timeless qualities of Shakespeare, like when, like when we like, I mean, like Hamlet had some like really great shit in it that yeah, we, it like, we went through. And, but that is all in between lines that only matter in his generation right. like there's there's just there's a lot of that back and forth and it's i've brought up this example numerous times and i swear i'm going to do something with it uh <laughs> the, the chicago art museum mm -hmm. is full of hilarious shit yeah that you it, if as long as you give it an earnest interpretation as long as you're not walking up to everything and going okay what is the what is the reverent way mm -hmm. to understand what i'm looking at there's Three pictures on the wall. There's a picture of a king and a prince, and then in the middle, there's what looks like a watercolor drawing of just an old man. <laughs> and it's hilarious. Yeah. And it's just, it, it's so less, it's so much less entertaining to come at things with that reverence. Yes. If you were to, re, if you were to watch M and be watching it specifically for, it's historicity in the grand sense right. of what it is as a film. Like mm -hmm. if I had actually watched this because it was the first procedural, yes. it would suck. Yes, absolutely. It would not be fun. And this is this is the this applies through art long, long oh, time man. back. This and it's uh, my my pick for next week, I guess, is going to fall right into cool. This. Yeah, well, that's, that's it's cool. going to fall right into what you're Excellent. talking about yeah. now. It, and but it's just it's it's a weird thing with archaeology in general. I mean, we talk about it's we don't know how much of a role the uh, the sages of previous times actually played into like their. Re I, I'm going to rephrase the sentence. I promise. <laughs> we don't know how much the Greeks actually cared about the gods. Yes, and we know this. By extension from the modern era, um, case in point, someone wrote a series of books about a kid who lives underneath the stairs, who it turns out has magical powers, mm -hmm. and we built a square mile of buildings yes. somewhere because someone wrote that book. Yes. J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World of Harry Potter at... Um, I assume it's a universal. Universal, One of them, yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you do if you go back 500 years and discover that? Right. How are you supposed to interpret what yeah. you're seeing there, knowing that in this era we did that shit for entertainment? Yeah, solely. For yeah, but it. I don't. But I thought like young people worshipped Harry Potter. Exactly. Now. Yeah. <laughs> but how much? <laughs> This is. I don't. I don't know. I never read any of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A, I've seen the movies. I, I, I've only I was, gone through four books. I, well, yeah. I've I, seen the movies. So I, what do you I, but I, I have heard people say, like, you should have died. Like twenty three. Like people who are probably about twenty three, twenty four right now say things like, "I am the Harry Potter generation." Yes. Yeah. Okay. But what does that... We I don't, don't know, even I don't know, know what that means. means. Yeah, we are, I don't know what yeah, that means. We're, we're barely ten years removed yeah, from it. You we were here for it. I don't, I don't, I don't even fucking know. 
No. Uh, all I'm saying is enjoy the art for what's there. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and and allow it to come to you on your own terms. Like it's it's one of those things where, you know, I like I said, I w- I'd wanted to pick this because it it is it does have a lot of firsts, right? And it is yeah. it, it is seminal in its in its historical context. And it's like even though it's different, there is a still a lot of the stuff that that is the same in a mm-hmm. lot of yeah. in a lot of senses. That's what I always find so it's it's why Shakespeare is still relatable because it's like the more things change, the more things still are kind of well, the fucking same. But also <laughs> like there's still police and dogs looking through fucking, you know, wooded areas to find bo- like that still happens when kids go missing. Yeah, but look, 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 like <gasps> so I wa- like I was watching Stranger Things they on Netflix. They haven't started chipping kids. So. No, but okay, so but like okay, so let's take this let's take the kind of like what I want to say here is that this lays down a lot of the ground rules and a lot of some, not like, I hate using tropes. I keep saying it every, I us back to some fucking podcast, but it lays down a lot of the like motifs and ideas that get picked up for the procedural kind of elements to this. Yeah. So let's like take a specific example of this, which is that as he's explaining the techniques and what they're doing to find the criminal, right? We get that montage sequence of the different ways of them going about it. That sweet map. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. The sweet map, the, 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 them scouring areas, right? But these shots are, are, when you go back and look at them, as I did a couple days ago, they're very staged and very, they're done for to be kind of visually appealing, right? Yeah. So go back and watch movies or police procedurals where there is this kind of like searching thing, right? So I saw Stranger Things, um, Gone Girl has some of these, uh, Mystic River where they're looking for the kids. Oh, like, yeah. When they're yeah. like, you know, when it's like a, a search party in the woods, you know, you get like... The obligatory shot, dark woods, backlit, lights this going around, mist happening. Yeah. But it's designed to look fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Right? And I mean, once again, we have progressed from there, but only in the in the in the methods in which uh, in the ways in which the method is done. We haven't changed the method. Yeah. Right? If you'd like at a CSI episode and you see the the cool ways it goes into the science behind them finding these things out. It is really no different than when they're talking about the difficulty in pulling the fingerprints and then the really because cool shots. Because a lot shots. of people have touched the note card. Yeah, like, but this then is also still the really cool shot yeah. of the guy sitting down with the projection above his head and the and the lines connecting the different fingerprints above him. That's a fucking cool shot. Yep. Like and so once again like I mean the 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 ways in which it is done is different. But I think what's also cool about M is that once again the direction is neat. The 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 visuals. I, I I get very stimulated by the visuals in this film. It really piques my imagination. I get Laurie's performance. Yes, and then really, Laurie's performance is yeah. really incredible. You talked about the kind of nuanced and responsible way that it handles something like this, which once again, like you know, there isn't a lot of precedent for dealing with a child murdering serial killer uh, confession in cinema history before this. Yeah, and yet the way that he kind of presents it. I mean, I really have not seen a not maybe not, I've maybe seen a better one or two I could pick out if I really thought about it. But I mean, how many other portrayals of this have you seen done more responsibly and more emotionally effective as this one was portrayed? It is very striking to me that after almost what God damn eighty years since this movie has been made, we have really yet to see film or cinema come along to kind of really revolutionized the way in which this is portrayed. And yet it's not like they haven't had enough bites at the apple well, but, to do but, okay, it. Like, this so is one, that's so, just endemic but, to our but, culture. But the one movie that maybe does this in a slightly more updated, funner fashion is one we've already covered, which is Sympathy for Lady Vengeance, mm-hmm. which we actually deal with the same thing. We deal with mm-hmm. the child killer. Mm-hmm. We deal with some bullshit police stuff. Right. You know, we've we've got mob justice. Yep. 
you know, they handle it differently, but it's, we're still working with a similar pref, with a similar, uh, working with a similar premise here, you mm-hmm. know, but we still have those shots, you know, the open woods and them looking for bodies yep. and, and like you got your little toys that you're, you're, you know, your clues that you're looking for and the stuff. visual cues and the, yeah. And the, and the, yeah, you know, but it's, I mean, the story has been retold multiple times over and over again yeah. since then. Um, but, but that doesn't necessarily take away from how good this and version uh, is and the versions that are, that have come out. I mean, they're not that much different. Yeah, they're they're they're. You might have some better. You might have some better recipes, but the ingredients are all kind of. Yeah, here. it's all the similar and, ingredients. And I think that once again, like kind of going back into the history of cinema and seeing something like this, and you know, once again, nineteen thirty fucking one. This movie's made. Like I said, you could find it YouTube, Hulu. You know, and just, watch it. And just type M into the internet. Yeah. <laughs> and um, once again, like, I think just go there with it. Um, any other ideas? I got one more kind of salvo I got to do, and then we can get let, the, let our poor audience go for the morning. You know? Oh, no, I guess uh, I'll leave my I'll leave my other aside off since you sure? I, yes. I feel like it's going to need a little more breathing room. But, um, oh, I wanted I wanted to bitch about method acting. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> um, okay, I'll just get I'll just get this real quick. Yeah, one. go, oh, go yeah. through yours. Yeah, okay, yeah. I'm not I, 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 I don't think we have time. Okay. For the screed that I want on this. Okay. So, um, we'll pick a real method actor movie and you oh, can screed yeah. on. I don't know that acting. we need. No, I. I don't want to. I don't want to sit. Beat on it. it. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. sit on it. Okay. So, um, so if you find yourself interested in checking out some other Fritz Lang productions and dire- uh, directorial movies, um, once again, Hulu has a couple up right now as well. Uh, but one of the cool things that you tend to see in a recurring theme in a lot of his movies. Uh, is the crisis of identity. Um, and the, once again, the real emotional crux of this film uh, is, of course, the very name of it is the M itself mm-hmm. uh, and the revelation or the discovery, right? Once again, this idea of being marked, of, of, of Hans recognizing the M and knowing that he's been marked and once again, seeing the inner, the inner nature of himself on the outside. I mean, that's why killers can be are hard to catch, because like, well, it's like my favorite um, line from the Adams family at the very end. It's Halloween, and uh, the the one of the characters comes to Wednesday Adams, who's dressed like she normally is, and she's like, "What are you, honey? I thought you're supposed to get dressed up." And she's like, "I'm a homicidal maniac. They look just like everyone else." And like, <laughs> yeah. that's what Hans is, right? He's a, he's seemingly looking like a normal person, and yet what is so what is so fucking neat about that scene and, and the reflected M is him seeing that innerness being being yeah. him being marked right that inner murderer being marked and and revealed to that and a lot of his films deal with this kind of like to some degree or another a crisis of identity um uh so um ministry of fear which is lesser known by him but i fucking love this movie um is a case one. of mistaken identity done let's be in, quick about these since yeah, okay. we, we we did this at the front so. yeah, yeah you did bring up yeah a okay yeah so okay but one, one of the things i want to bring up about each of these really quickly is that there is this mistake this uh, crisis of identity mistaken identity in one scarlet streak is about um uh uh about requitedness right the idea that he puts out his emotions his inner self and it is misinterpreted and this then becomes the crux of the overall arguments a lot of film noirs are about wrong madness right being innocent men being accused guilty men being uh, perceived as innocent and it's once again one of the neater themes that kind of runs through a lot of his work uh, is this sense of identity and and who we are Uh, and it really plays a kind of pivotal role in how it uh, rears itself throughout these films and if you are going to look into them i think that'd be one of the more neater perspectives is to see how he handles these ideas because it might not be the the core idea of what the film is the same way that m isn't necessarily about this right but 
who someone is, what they project out, and how that tends to move the story along does become a prominent element in a lot of his work. Uh, by the way, that work is Fritz Lang. Fritz Lang is the guy's work we were discussing today. And I am happy that you guys went through and did M with me as well. Uh, now, Nicole's picks up next, right? You got a next, your next picker? Nicole. Yeah, I, I'm not going to go ger- back-to-back German, although I'm... I know, um, i got to spread them out, too. I, like, I, I, like, I, uh, I do want to tackle Herzog at some point. But um, I'm going to do Weekend by okay. Godard. So we're doing another so foreigner. That's, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna stick with this foreign. This is in color. This yes. is more violent. The people are better looking. Yes. <laughs> um, but, but the similarities. Is, <laughs> but the similarities. Yeah. No, yeah, I'm just gonna have to watch. Yeah, this, this one. is. Yeah. <laughs> if, you've, uh, if you've never heard or seen of this movie before, this um, is also on Hulu. We're tuned. gonna stick with yeah. the Criterion Collection. Yeah, um, stay tuned for this one. But this one, this one will be fun. Uh, this this has a lot of murder and mayhem, but on a more national, bigger philosophical kind of schema, and only the way stuffy French people can attack it. Oh yeah, it's a doozy. All right, we're done. Let's and get with that. Let's let these people go. We release you. Nicole, Ryan. Oh, thank you so much, David. Thank you. For being on the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone. <laughs>